Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers on the Boonbastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. Uh, I've been involved in prison outreach and aftercare for over 20 years, uh, trying to get the word out there that our prison systems do not work for rehabilitation. This punishment-minded style prison is not, uh, prison is not rehabilitating anyone, uh, making things worse. Some of these men and women get out of prison and they're twice the monster they were when they went in. Uh, so that's kind of doing my part. Recidivism rate is over 70% on average here in America. Um, again, this negative reinforcement instead of positive reinforcement. Um, if you read my book, The Story of You, you see I talk about the prison system in Norway that has a 20% recidivism rate because it's positive reinforcement. Not about taking things away and punishing, but encouraging them to do good and rewarding them when they do good. And their violent crimes of going down drastically when they get out of prison after this style of uh, uh, positive reinforcement. So again, if you follow me uh, on my social media pages, you see what I'm all about. There's so many true crime podcasts out there right now. Hopefully I'm doing a little something different, giving some of these men and women a platform. Um, I'm not just talking about them, but they're calling me. Uh, we talked to the Vampire Paris Nico Clue on episode one. And a big again, thanks to Nico, and a big thanks for all you guys. Uh, the comments and the personal messages you sent me, how you liked it, and said this podcast is a little different. Again, because I'm talking with them personally. You know, I have them. I have permission by them to upload our conversations, to record our conversations. And I honestly, I get phone calls from serial killers almost every day, and a stack of mail every day. So hopefully, I'm bringing up some content you guys enjoy. Something maybe a little bit different that's not quite out there that everybody else is doing. Um, yeah, you might find it a little more, but I have a house full of true crime artwork from serial killers. But like Nico said in the first episode, if you haven't watched it, please go back and check it out. You know, there's something about holding a piece of artwork from, you know, you have these killers, men and women who have killed with their bare hands and with the same hands create the most beautiful artwork you've ever seen. Uh, it's just amazing to me. It fascinates me. And again, I'm also encouraging them. I'm trying to keep them think of positive things, keep the negativity out of their mind. It's like with Nico. He no longer has the urge to, you know, dig up graves and, and just mutilate bodies and kill people uh, because artwork has filled his mind. Um, yeah, there's some dark art and stuff that he does, but he ain't killing nobody. You know? <laughs> He's not robbing graves and eating people anymore. You know, so it's, it's positive things. So if Nico um, can keep his mind on positive things, anybody can. And today we are going to be talking to Happy Face Keith Jesperson, obviously a noted serial killer. He has many documentaries about him. Um, but his artwork is tremendous. I, I Countless pieces I have here in the house, and not little pieces. He does these massive, like, 19 by 24, these, these giant pieces uh, using color pencil. That's the medium that he's allowed to have there. Again, some facilities don't only have anything. It's a pencil if you're lucky. Um, but some beautiful artwork that he has. One of my favorite pieces. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, to, with Keith today in um, a, a few different topics. Um, but I wanted to start by having him share a little bit about um, my personal favorite piece of his. I got a lot, but this is probably uh, what he's most known for. It's actually, if you look at the the little icon, the little image of this podcast, you're going to see what's called a melting Mickey Mouse. That's from Keith Jesperson. Um, so I asked Keith, uh, can you tell us about the Melting Mickey? Where did it come from? Do you make it up? Do you see it somewhere? Tell us about the Melting Mickey Mouse. Well, we're the deal with the Melting Mickey was I got a I got a uh, a picture actually of the Melting Mickey uh, in the mail. Someone had sent it to me, and uh, I thought I'd put a little twist to it. Not a whole lot. I put a lot of like the neon colors to it, 
And I just produced it for, you know, once or twice in here, and, and it just took off. Everybody just seemed to want to have the melting Mickey Mouse, and the original wasn't mine. But I put a lot of the neon and stuff like that colors into it and made it mine, kind of mm. like. But, I, but every time I draw that melting Mickey Mouse, I will put on the back of the, of the artwork that I, it was a reference to another, an original with somebody else's. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, you know, but you know, I'm, I'm in prison, so, you know, the amount of money that it sells for, it probably will not jeopardize uh, whoever did the original. Sure. Yeah. So, like say, like I said, the original was done by somebody else, but it came off the internet. I believe it was a, it was scanned off the internet, and I got it on some computer paper, and I just looked at it. I was like, well, okay, I'll do that. And like I said, there, there was a lot of people in here that really, I couldn't get away from it. I still can't. <laughs> Everybody still wants a melting that came out. Is the Melting Mickey uh, your most requested piece? Do people still ask you for that uh, the most for you to draw for them? Oh, that's, that's one of them. You know, I, I had the one there where uh, a little boy was eating a rat. Oh. <laughs> I was sitting there eating a rat, and I've and done that several times, but it gets old. Everything gets old. Uh, and he just sits there in the corner. He's in the corner eating a rat. Yeah, it looks like there's like a... people like... go like, that's disgusting. I said, yeah, but you know what it's you got to think about it, you know, a kid doesn't know whether it's edible or not. Yeah. I mean, they just, they're, you know, it's like, I remember my son when he was just a little baby, and, his, you know, he shit his diaper, and he, he was playing with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kids will do that. Yeah. Right? There, there you go, like, oh, Jason, you know, you got to just wipe them all down, and what, give them a bath, and, you know, but he didn't know any different. Yeah. You know, he just sat there and played with it. It was Play-Doh or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, one of my other favorite ones, and I've seen a few people out there have it hanging on their walls, as I do, is Starry Night. The Starry Night by Van Gogh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like doing that one. And, of course, you're going to be getting the, uh, the, the, the Putin, you know, President Putin and the atomic bomb blowing off behind his head there pretty soon. <laughs> uh, I cannot wait. That is very exciting that, news. <laughs> and that one there was, is kind of iconic with the with the time of the day here with uh, Putin there, everyone's thinking he's going to go start World War Three. And last year I noticed uh, a lot of people have a lot of Alice in Wonderland from you. It looks like it was a whole series that you did. Um, the first one I saw was like this Cheshire cat, um, just some vibrant colors that you had in there. Well, they like the Alice in Wonderland stuff. Just the silhouette of the face itself. I mean, there's so much black and, and blue in it that it just pops. It just mm-hmm. And, and there's another one I had where Alice and basically the whole cast of characters is also <laughs> sitting around a table. Uh, that must have taken you days to complete. That was so vibrant in all its colors. Absolutely amazing. I always try to look for something that gives me a challenge. You have to you have to draw each character as it is, and then kind of hope it pushes right into the other one. And that's that's basically what you have to do. I mean, mm-hmm. like I just got done with this this uh, a picture that came out of the Spectrum. I don't even know who the, who the original is, but he's, it's a uh, uh, a character 
pelletized, it's got a skull on the front of the bike, and it's got rib cage, and it's got, it's just a, it's just a picture out of the Spectrum book, and I was like, and I said, man, that's going to be, it's one of those that you, you have to work at. Oh, sure. <laughs> Do- a lot to it. I, I tell guys in here, what, you know, they always ask me what I'm drawing. I'm going like, well, sometimes it's a tiger or something like that. And, and then I come up with this boy hitting around. They're going like, man, that's just weird. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those things when you look at it, you, you just know you have to draw it just because. It's not because yeah. of my crimes or anything like that. It's just yeah. because it, it has that, that kind of that innocent, morbid type of <laughs> Yeah. No, I know I'm already um, planning on sending you actually two pictures of my dogs. You know, dogs passed away a few years ago, um, but there's a great picture of them sitting on my deck I want you to draw. Uh, so I'm going to send you that picture. Or if somebody else has something uh, for you to draw, is there you know a better format for them to send, a small picture, big picture? Uh, what should they send you if they want uh, you to draw them something? Yeah, if you come up with something, if you have a reference material or stuff like that, let mm-hmm. me know. Just send it my way. And, oh, for sure. Oh wow! Okay. So, I, that's how I get my 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 dimensions correct. Gotcha. So that it's precise. I don't want. I don't. I I used to freehand stuff. Mm-hmm. I take a look at a picture and I freehand it. But you spend more time erasing than you do putting uh, it yeah. again. So I have found that if you grid it, you get it to the right dimensions in the first place. Oh, good. You just have to not put the lines in so so heavy where they shine through. Sure. Now, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of forgeries, you know, artwork that they're claiming it's yours. For example, I mean, I saw one a couple weeks ago. I had to tell the guy, listen, you know, what you're selling, and he didn't know that it was fake, but it had a large happy face on it. Now, unless it's, you know, old, old, old artwork or maybe a letter, uh, I know for a fact that you can't put happy faces on any of the artwork, so I knew it was a fake. Yeah, there's uh, there's someone out there that's doing that and calling it mine, and and I can't can't do that. Exactly. I mean, I seen older happy faces, but this wasn't. This was pretty recent, and it was actually on a handkerchief. You know, twenty about eighteen years ago, I guess. Yeah, but nothing recent. The, that, yeah, this eighteen years ago was probably the last time anything was like that done. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't on a handkerchief. Yeah, so was, you know, they just started selling handkerchiefs not that long ago. In here, they got several of them floating around out there that, <laughs> that have uh, you know they're they're trying to imitate. This is what they do. Now, obviously, you're known as the Happy Face Killer. Um, now, was that a nickname that you kind of set out uh, to have? You know, because you you signed the Happy Face, I think, in the letter, and there's something about a bathroom stall. I mean, just to sec- set the record straight, um, how did it come about? Was it something that somebody else uh, gave you? Um, just randomly put a Happy Face on the letter, not really realizing what you were doing, and it caught on somehow? Or uh, where was the origin of the Happy Face? Well, there's a...
Mm-hmm. And that's how I got the title. I mean, I didn't get a title for putting smiley face on bathroom walls or on the bodies or anything like that. I never did that. So there's one smiley face on one letter, and that's how, how that's how come I'm the happy face killer. Were you shocked when you found out that that's going to be your nickname forever? <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know I gave myself. I didn't even realize I put a smiley face on the letter. Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe, you know, I, I thought maybe that, that the, that the, um, that the, um, the guy I went to put the smiley face on to call me something. Wow. You know, I, I thought that maybe that's what he did. Maybe he he put a smiley face on to call me the happy face. <laughs> I don't I don't remember I don't remember putting the smiley. I, mean, I wasn't in the smiley face. What the hell? I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. But I don't even you know, you know I don't think I put it on her. But you know maybe I did. <laughs> it's just one of those things that you just you start reflecting back on, going like, now what the hell did I do that or not? I'm not quite sure. Now, why did a prison facility ban you from? Even using the word happy face or making the happy face symbol? Only after I was incarcerated, after I got in prison, then I started using the smiley face on my signature when I sent it out. And then I was told not to, so then from that point on, I couldn't do it anymore. So they, uh, they made a big deal about it. So that's a, I'm under a direct order. I can't put it on. I can't put a smiley face on anything. Mm. And so, yeah, I... It was. It had to do with one letter to the Oregonian back in 1994. Matter of fact, when I I found out they they were calling me that when I was in Houston, Texas. One you know, one day I was down there and I was reading a True Detective magazine. <laughs> it says that the Oregon have another Zodiac killer by Frank Hughes. And I read this and I was like, Oh my God, they got a they got a Zodiac in Oregon. And I picked up. And I read the. I, I went straight to the article and here's my letter. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. And that's how I found out that I was the, the, the happy face killer. Was I, that, um, I was reading a tree Detective magazine in October, November of 94. I was down in Houston, Texas, reading that and I just bought it off the shelf. Now, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't there another happy face killer out there? I don't know if it was in you know, years past or, or still going on. Or Have you ever heard of another happy face killer? There's more than, there's more than one happy face or smiley face killer out there. More than one? There's a paint on, paints a smiley face on, on walls right above, uh, on something above where the murder happened. You know, they, have, they always leave something. It's like, it's like that movie Red Dawn, where they, you know, every time they kill, they put a, they painted a, with blood right above the bed of, of a smiley face. And oh. it, it's always a spinoff going somewhere. That's crazy. Well, being that this is the lighter side of serial killers, I heard, um, and you might, I think you mentioned it to me in, in passing before, and I wrote a little note down to ask you about it, and I just never got a chance to. What specifically was the self-start serial killer kit? I, I'm assuming it was some type of a joke or you're goofing around and it, and people actually th- <laughs> thought it was serious? What specifically is the self-start serial killer kit? Well, that was in county jail. I was sitting there, everyone was talking about, well, how did you get, how did you get started being a serial killer? And I said, well, I'm done. I mean, it just happened, man. I mean, you did one, and then all of a sudden, a few years later, you kill again, and then it just kind of goes and goes. But I thought it was kind of a joke to write out the self-start serial. It, what it was is an advertisement for a kit that doesn't exist, right? <laughs> it's just, this is the offer you all been dying for, the self-start serial 
work in. Get rid of that unwanted family member. You know, uh, you know, open up that job at work by opening up the job. <laughs> be the only serial killer on the job. Be the only serial killer on the block if you do your job right. <laughs> you do stuff like that. You get your, you know, if you you you, you pay ninety nine ninety five to Waylaid Industries. I mean, this was it was an advertisement for a kit that doesn't exist. I just wonder how many people sent ninety nine ninety five to Waylaid Industries, six 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 Cemetery Lane, Suite thirteen, uh, Battleground, Washington, nine uh, eight nine ICU. That was the address. Located at Throttle and Choke's Casket Rentals, in the basement of Throttle and Choke, oh, or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> it's hysterical. The people actually, <laughs> actually thought it was serious. It was. It was so crazy that 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 serial killer kit made made. Uh, I sent a copy of that to uh, Sandra London. Uh, she was a collector, murder memorabilia, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. She was married to Danny Rowling of Gabriel Slacker. Oh, yeah. Anyway, she had a website, and they aired uh, uh, Lisa talk show aired the killer kit. And then the next thing you know, that uh, uh, American Online was going to drop uh, Sandra London because of the killer kit, and they went on Larry King Live. And and the uh, Hustler magazine, uh, Flint represented on my behalf as well as Sandra, uh, arguing that to have the site, and then of course American Online's founder, as well as Governor James Geringer of Wyoming, uh, got a was was against me, and then of course at the, at the end of the Larry King show. They decided that they could just drop the carrier, drop the carrier for the for the website. And then another carrier picked it up free of charge. It's just it was a is a fiasco. Anyway, it's, my lawyer told me you need to quit doing shit like that. It's <laughs> like I called I called the governor of Wyoming, James Jared, an idiot on national TV, and he said this guy wants to kill you. And I said, well, he's going to have a hard time doing it. It, it was, it's, it's crazy, it's stupid. Yep. But uh, it just went nuts. It went nuts. You know there's copies of it. I know there's copies of it online floating around somewhere. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just have to, you know, I could probably make one up again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was in, I was in, in, in jail, um, in isolation a lot of this time, and mm-hmm. I had to for some uh, keep my mind working. It's- <laughs> It's crazy what the press will get a hold of and run with, not even knowing if it's true or not, or even trying to fact check with you. And uh, I know that's something we'll get into in, a, in another conversation, fact checking, especially with uh, your daughter's book out there. We'll get into that uh, a different time. Um, speaking of letters and, and writing, uh, I, I know for a fact, you know, you get tons of letters every day and every week. Um, but you said before that you actually wrote to people, not just people, but you actually wrote to other serial killers. Uh, well, you got to tell us, <laughs> who did you write to, and did they respond to you? I wrote to Arthur Shawcross, who was arrogant. I wrote to Tommy Lynn Sells, and he was a child killer, and he, he thought he was Mr. Tough Guy, but he is not. Uh, Angel Material or Sanders was the most respectful person I wrote to, 
And I wrote him right up until his death. Mm. Uh, you know, he had actually a week before it actually cut himself pretty bad. He, he wanted to end his life before they executed him. And they gave him, you know, they had over 200 stitches and they gave him blood transfusions before, you know, a week before he died, you know, in, in Texas. They executed him. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, wow. I used to write him and I used to write Wayne Adam Ford up there in uh, Northern California, wrote him when he first was arrested, mm-hmm. told him about the legal system. His lawyer actually wrote me a letter back thanking me for informing his client that what the legal system has in store for him. Is that why you were and writing him? Like, just more like more advice as far as legal advice? I was giving him advice on what, you know, because no one gave me advice. Mm. I told him who to expect, what, 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 what was in store for him in the legal system. Because he didn't have no idea. I mean, he turned himself in to a sheriff, and they, uh, they didn't believe him. So he pulls out of his backpack a severed breast and throws it on the, on the desk of the sheriff. And that was our, then he started picking up body parts up and down the Pacific Coast mm. that he had, you know, thrown out. Now, uh, one of the people that is involved with that is... Uh, is uh, Victoria Redstone got involved with that guy. Mm. And of course, Christopher Barry D. We've had to talk about Christopher Barry D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of people that try to get involved with with me and on different things. Uh, you know, but you know, Arthur Shawcross had a book written by Jack Olson as well. And uh, I, I read the book, and I thought that, uh, and I was confronted in a, in a couple of letters about certain things, and he wrote me back to my mom business. Yeah. <laughs> That's before he died. Yeah, I think he died of a heart attack or something later. But I think the reason, I think why we don't write anymore to different killers because I think that right about that time, the, the state and the feds stopped allowing inmate-to-inmate mail. See, they, they quit allowing us to write to each other. Wow. So that was the, uh, and so I think it had a lot to do with what I was doing. I was writing to different people, and, <laughs> and other people were doing the same thing, and, and it was causing, uh, it's like the people in Texas, the ones that had dragged that black guy underneath their truck, mm. the three guys that had dragged, and I wrote to all three of them, and only one of them followed my advice, and he's doing a natural life. The other guys are doing uh, the war on death row. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, so I was able, he was able to help them get through this. He, I told them to get a hold of, uh, like, CBS or someone and do a story and give them his side of the story mm-hmm. before they go to trial. Mm. And he did that. And, of course, once that came out, the, the jury awarded him. They, they decided just to give him natural life instead of the death penalty. Wow. And she was kind of, like, forced into driving the pickup truck that was dragging the men behind him. Mm. Yeah, no, he didn't, he never, he never tied the guy up or anything like that behind him. He just, they just, uh, the other two had done that. He drove the pickup. And he didn't know he was, what he was doing until it was over. But that was on, it was on like a 60 minutes or something like that. He had gone and, and then from that point on, they, you know, they, the evidence supported him. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that, that I keep telling these guys when I was, when the, when they got arrested, the evidence will support whatever it is. I mean, you may change your stories to fit the evidence, 
Mm-hmm. You have to you have to understand that you don't not everything is is what it is. Yeah. Uh, you if you're if you, if your lawyer comes up and says this is the evidence they have, well then that's what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. it'd be crazy to go to trial and face a possible death sentence if you already know that you're guilty. Yeah. That was yeah, the, I mean, it's just, yeah. just stupid to do so. Now, as I'm listening to this story, I can't help but to think that I know somebody else who might have tied somebody up to a truck, <laughs> but more underneath of the truck and more of an 18-wheeler riding down the road. Uh, I'm not sure how much you can talk about it, but is there anything you would like to share about uh, your personal knowledge of such an incident? Well, I, I thought about the, what, what came about on that was the fact that I remember the TV show, the TV show where... where the, the cop pulled over the the, uh, the Cadillac or something like that, and he was talking about the little dog the guy had dragged behind his car, mm. and he and he had you know had ground down to nothing. Mm. And when I was at night, I was thinking, well, how do I get rid of the body? I was going like, hey man, I'll drag it down the island. <laughs> and it's going to be like sandpaper. It's just going to get rid of the whole body. And twelve miles later, it uh, it was you know. It, it was a surefire weight loss plan, I'm telling you that. Yeah. <laughs> now, was it, were there cars you know, in the lost about 60% of the body weight within 12 miles. For sure. Was it like late at night, like other cars on the road, or was it, they couldn't yeah, really it was see? like 2 or 3 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were like 2 or 3 in the morning, and, and there's clusters of vehicles. See, there's cluster of vehicles that cluster up, and then they drive, and there'd be like 2 or 3 miles, and there'd be another cluster of vehicles. I pulled in behind the one cluster. And the reason it was 12 miles, that's how long it took for the cluster behind me to catch me. Mm. And when they caught me, I just turned my signal on, got on the shoulder, and they passed me really quick, so they didn't see anything. And then I knew I had about three minutes to get out of the truck, run back here with my side cutters and cut the rope, and drive what was left out in the, off on the medium off of the, uh, on the shoulder of the road highway. Gotcha. And once I did that, I got back in the truck and, and was driving, was pulling back on the when the other clutches was starting to catch up to me. <laughs> Perfect that's timing. What, that's, what, that's what determined how far I drove was, was the cost between the clusters of the vehicles. Since my truck only went 64 miles an hour, and everybody else was doing about 70. I heard. Uh-huh. And so it's just like, it's just like watching Dexter, the new series, where the, the, the father knows his son is dead because of the pins found in the burn, you know, whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, I think they took it from my case. Good, good. <laughs> Well, there you have it, some of my interview with the happy face killer, Keith Jesperson. Now, this is the lighter side of serial killers, though it got a little bit darker towards the end, but maybe more dark humor, right? Uh, dragging a woman underneath uh, the 18-wheeler is a great weight loss program, and you got to say, <laughs> um, yeah, it is probably a little bit morbid. But if you listened to this thus far and you made it this far, yeah, you're probably a little twisted yourself. Um, but anyway, thanks for tuning in. We're going to have a lot more from Keith Jesperson. Um some of it, you know, not always the lighter side. His daughter, Melissa Moore, has written a book about him, uh, which is fine, you know, and she's kind of a victim herself. Uh, but she's been saying a lot of lies about him that he wants to address. Um, he wants to use my platform through my social media and now this new podcast to address some of that. Uh, most importantly, the thing, the thing that seems to really get at him the most is when she was saying when she was five years old that they were playing with some kittens and he got all the kittens and tied them up uh, by the tail to his clothesline. 
and tortured them in front of her and killed them in front of her. And he's like, it never even happened. And it basically can prove it didn't happen by school records and things. Um, so it's not, he's going to be addressing that and among other things too in other podcasts. We got a, um, Dana Gray's coming up. We got true crime artist on death row in Arizona, death row trials, Reinhardt. Uh, so stay tuned. Again, thanks for listening. Uh, this is Keith Rovere on the lighter side of serial killers. Until next time, see ya. See ya.